Good morning. If I sound a little congested, I apologize, but I'm feeling better. I did not, I did not know all of this was going on. People were signing up to take the job this morning. I had no idea. So uh, I told, told Dad last, Dad called last night and he said, well, this person's going to do this morning. And I was like, well, I'm going to be fine. So, and, and I think deep down, Kevin, you know he's happy when he called and said, you don't have to do it. So, uh, but it's nice to know that uh, Kevin's got one in the, uh, you know, he's ready to come out of the bullpen if need be. That's good too. Uh, that's good to know. <clears throat> if you've been paying attention somewhat over the course of each month, we've been doing about three lessons per subject. And this month they've all been, uh, they've not all been because there's things that interfere. Last week was uh, Father's Day and that kind of stuff. But this has been about, this month we've been talking about Jesus and what we know about Jesus before Jesus becomes a preacher. And we didn't talk about the birth of Jesus, but we talked about Jesus as a young child in the temple. We talked about Jesus' baptism. And today we're going to be talking about the temptation of Jesus. This is a story that I'm sure that you're familiar with. You probably um, uh, recognize that whenever we had the reading. The reading came from uh, the, the book of Mark. Uh, it's only two verses in the book of Mark. We're going to be looking at the book of Matthew, but I didn't want to give the book of Matthew because that's what I'm going to be reading here as we go forward as well. But we're thinking about Jesus and the temptation, but the title here is Passing the Test. <clears throat> and we all can relate to this title here because all of us have went to school to start with, right? We've all had tests as a student that we needed to pass. And it may have been math, it may have been science, but we had to be able to pass the test. And some of us studied and worked hard to prepare for it. And some of us just went in there and hoped for the best. You may remember when you were 16, when you were able to get your driver's license. And you had to take the test. I teach sophomores as a career. And all of my kids turn 16 during the course of the year. And the driver's test is one of the big things. And I have kids, and I've told you this before, that go to take the driver's test, and they say, Mr. Hopkins, I'm not going to be here tomorrow. I'm going to take the driver's test. Tell them good luck. They come in the next day, and their face is turned in one of two directions. It's either ear-to-ear smiling because they passed it, or it's down, pointing their, their, their <laughs> smile is turned to a frown because they didn't pass it. And they'll come in and they'll say, I missed this many. I, do you know how many you can miss and still pass? The answer is eight. I've learned that over the years. They all come out. Right? If you miss eight or less, you still pass. If it's more than that, you, you don't pass. But that's one of the things you learn when you deal with those kind of things. But those kids have to pass that test in order to be able to drive. As you get older, there's other tests that come into our lives as well. We face tests nonstop. We face tests in how we deal with other people. The situations that arise and how we are able to handle those. You may not necessarily sit down with a pencil and paper and have to be able to say what 2 plus 2 is and what 4 minus 3 is. Those are the tests from when you were younger. But you have tests that you are faced with on an almost daily basis. The things that seem to challenge us the most seem to test us the most often. Does that make sense to you? You say, why? It feels like this is the thing that I struggle with. Why is it always happening? Well, there's probably a reason for that. 
But Jesus was tested as well. And that's what we're going to look at here today. The testing that Jesus would face. Now, first of all, I want to talk a little bit about the conditions that Jesus was tested in. As you can see it here on the screen, you can see sort of what those conditions were. First of all, it was very rigorous. We know what the word rigorous means. Rigorous is a challenge. It's difficult. One of the things that they tell us as teachers is they want the education process to be rigorous. They want the kids to have to face challenges and then see how they can overcome it. There's a reason for that because life gets pretty rigorous uh, for us as well. But the testing for Jesus was rigorous as well. First of all, it was rigorous in its surroundings. We'll get to the story in just a second, but Jesus was tested in the wilderness. And you can see in Matthew, you can see in what Jameson read in Mark there just a moment as well, that Jesus was isolated in the wilderness with no help nearby. One of the things that I, a TV show that I, I've mentioned here before, but there was a TV show on the Smithsonian Channel called Aerial America. And yesterday there was an episode called The Wilderness. And, it was, and it's always, I don't think it would be airplanes, but maybe it's uh, drones that film this, but they fly over all of these different places. Well, yesterday on this episode, it was areas of wilderness around the, uh, around the United States. And it was really interesting to see because there were so many trees, there was so much vegetation, so much water, so many animals, wild animals, but there was no people. When we think about a wilderness, we think about an area that is devoid of people. There's not a lot of people that are in that area. So when Jesus is going to be tested in the wilderness, he's automatically, by definition, going to be almost completely isolated. There's not going to be anybody there with him. He's going to be away from the area. He's going to be hungry. He doesn't have food. And as much as that, Jesus was very much alone. The second one. Testing was going to be rigorous in its duration. The testing of Jesus here, this temptation is going to last about 40 days. Now, for most of us, if we went backwards, 40 days goes pretty quick, right? 40 days was what, six weeks ago? If we think back six weeks ago, that, that went really fast. But think about it looking forward. How many of you have ever had a vacation planned and it's six weeks from now? Every day at work lasts for six weeks, right? Because you're just trying to get to that vacation time. But it's a challenge to get there. The other day I was thinking about our trip here in a couple of weeks that we've got planned. And I was thinking like, usually every morning when I take a shower, I think it's 17 days or it's 14 days or it's 22 days. And the other day I was showering and I thought, I think it's farther today than it was yesterday. That doesn't make any sense at all. Yesterday was 17, today it's 18. That doesn't hardly make sense. But duration, if we look at something lengthy, it's a challenge, right? 40 days was a rigorous duration. Third, it would be rigorous in its intensity. If Jesus was just going to go out into the wilderness, lay down on a, on a sleeping bag or whatever for 40 days, you know, got some snacks, going to kick back and relax, and when this is over, well, that's no problem at all. Most of us would tell that sounds good to us, right? But he was also going to be intensity because Jesus was going to be challenged while he was there as well. All of these testing conditions, as it were, would certify who Jesus really was. So, let's talk about these temptations. First of all, I want you to turn 
to the book of Matthew, chapter 4. Matthew, chapter 4. And this is probably the only place where we'll be during the course of this morning. But Matthew, chapter 4. And then we're going to look at the first temptation. So I only want us to look at the first four verses. Matthew, chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, this is Jesus speaking in verse 4. It's probably in red in your Bible. It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So let's talk about the first temptation for Jesus. He spent 40 days fasting in the wilderness. We've talked talk about fasting in here before, but we know what it means to fast is, is you're going without something. And so when this time, <clears throat> when this time is up, you can imagine how hungry Jesus would have been. How many of you have ever been hungry before? All right, I'm hungry right now. You know, I, I wish the preacher would finish up so we go ahead and get something to eat because I'm kind of hungry as it is. But we can all relate to that sort of hunger right there. How many of you have ever uttered a sentence somewhere along the lines of, I can eat anything right now? You know, it doesn't matter what it is. Well, it's funny because I would imagine that at about the time of the end of these 40 days, Jesus was thinking, I could eat anything right now. Don't you imagine? Because we talk about Jesus being coming to earth as a man. We can relate to that. This is the most, this may be the most relatable story in the Bible. We've all been hungry. And Jesus would have been hungry as well. And who shows up just at the nick of time? Satan in verse 3, right? And what does Satan tell Jesus in verse 3? He commands the stones to be turned to bread. Well, this would have been perfect, right? Because we got plenty of stones out in the wilderness. I told you yesterday, the show that I watched, there was all kinds of rocks out in the wilderness. But Jesus said, Satan tells Jesus, he says, you can turn these stones to bread and that will feed you right then. Wouldn't it be nice to have the ability to look at this book and say, I can turn this to bread and I got something to eat just then and there. We would love to have that superpower as it were, right? But how does Jesus respond to that? Well, this will be a test of submission. The hunger of Jesus would have been immediately abated. He would no longer have been hungry. But Jesus responds in verse 4 by saying, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus didn't just make this up. This is a good quote, but this comes from the book of Deuteronomy. This comes from the book of Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. It would have been contrary to the word of God for Jesus to have used his power for his own benefit. Think about that. Jesus could have turned the rocks to stop to the stones to bread just like that. And it would have been delicious. I'm sure it would have fixed his hunger. But that would have been contrary to the word of God. Because God's word would have told him to do something else. He needed food. He first needed to do the will of God. Amen. Think about that for a second. How many of you have ever said, I asked this minute ago, I asked again, I am so hungry I can eat anything right now. And then you ate how many of you, four hours later, said, well, I can do something to eat? See, hunger is what? It's temporary, right? And we fix it, but it always 
will come back. So we fall into that first temptation right there to give in to some kind of temptation as it were, but then it sort of returns, right? That hunger was there. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone. You needed bread. He needed something to eat. You can't just go home and never eat. If we go home and never eat, what's going to happen? We're going to die. But he said, man shall not live by bread alone, but also by the word of God. You've got to have both on there. Temptation number two. Go back with me to Matthew chapter four. This time, verses five through seven. Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you and in, in their hands, they shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against the stone. Jesus said to him, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Satan gives Jesus a dare. Anybody who has siblings has dared somebody to do something, right? You have dared them. I dare you to do this or to do that. Jess and I used to dare each other to do various things here and there. Sometimes they were safer. Sometimes they might have been less safe. But the whole point of a dare is to say, I don't think you can do that. And then to see that person actually do it and sort of deep down hope that they can't so you can laugh at them afterwards, right? That's sort of what a dare is anyway. But Jesus is in a sense dared here by Satan. He takes him up to this highest point here as it were, right? On top of this building and he says, throw yourself down from the temple and you will be fine. Well, that's true, right? Jesus would have been protected. But Jesus was being tempted here by Satan. This would have been for a sense of, let's use the word, sort of fame, right? Jason talked at the end of his class this morning about glorifying. And if Jesus throws himself down off this temple and he floats down and he's safe, he doesn't hurt himself at all, there's a little glory for Jesus there, right? Look what he, if you saw somebody jump off the top of the courthouse and land on their feet today, how many people would you tell you probably want to go talk to that person. Why, how did you do that? That was impressive. I, can't, I would have been scared to death. I can't believe you, you, you. I can't believe what well, you's in there, right? So Jesus does what Satan says. He jumps down off of this. Who gets all the credit? So Jesus is tempted here by what's done. This would have given him uh, maybe instant fame, if we want to use a word that would maybe relate to uh, today. But it would serve only to glorify himself. A little bit of background. Jesus again quotes. You see in verse 7, I think it's written in red there as well. This is from the book of Deuteronomy in the Old Testament as well. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and 16 when Moses had chastised Israel for their perpetual doubt. Jesus said, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Jesus was not going to try or to tempt God. Neither should we. Temptation number three. Third, Matthew chapter four, verses eight through 11. And the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. 
Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Now, a couple of things. First of all, depending on your version, verse 10 might say, get behind me, Satan, I think. But verse 11 there says that the angels came and ministered. That's something that Jameson read just a few moments ago. But let's go into this third temptation just a little bit beforehand. Though God had promised, in a sense, that Jesus would rule, if you want to think about it that way, the path there would be difficult, right? Jesus was sent to earth to live as a man, right? And he would live as a man. He would have to endure sufferings and he would have to endure challenges and he would have to endure the difficulties of life on earth. And ultimately, it would end up with Jesus having to do what? He has to go through the crucifixion, right? He would have to be put to death. And so Jesus' path back to heaven, as it were, was certainly a difficult route. And so Jesus, though, is told in this, this temptation, Satan, Satan sort of offers him an easy way, as it were, right? He says, bow down and rule over all the kings. Instead, he took him to an exceedingly high point. If you ever been to the top of a mountain somewhere, you can always see things better from the top than at the bottom, right? That's why, I almost, that's why they built forts on top of mountains. They wanted to protect themselves and to be able to see even further. But even if you don't have a mountain, there's probably a highest point on your property that allows you to see things from one spot that maybe somewhere else you can't really see. Satan takes Jesus to his highest point. He says, you can have all of this. Now imagine if you went to the highest point on your property and somebody told you that everything that you could see, you could have. It'd be pretty nice, right? That sounds great for us because if you have one acre, you probably could have multiple acres. And if you have 10 acres, there's a good chance that you could have 20 acres. You could add this amount of land up. And Satan says, you can have all of this if you would bow down to him. This would give Jesus instant power, quick, easy, instant gratification. We like that, right? We like to do good, but we like to be told how good we did too, right? Sometimes we kind of like to be other people to know what we had done there. So that gratification, that, that build it up. Sometimes we kind of like that. Jesus would have had all of that here as it were. What did Jesus say? He said, away with you, Satan. Well, first of all, Satan's making a mistake here. We sometimes talk about this, that everything in the world belongs to God, right? Well, Jesus didn't need to bow down for anything right there. He already had all of that. There's a difference in the views of who was looking at this between Satan and Jesus. But Jesus said, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you should serve. So the third temptation, Jesus said no, and we do not worship other gods as well. So, let's think about the results. Every year, at the end of the year, toward the end of the year, school students take a series of tests, usually from the state, sometimes they're from the federal government, but they're different educational tests. And the whole point of them is to see hopefully what the kids have learned. And there's all kinds of conflicts with those, but that's not important. But we get the results back and we can see that the kids did good in reading and bad in math or whatever. But we see what those results are. And then we look and we say, why is it the kids are struggling with this or maybe doing well with that? What can we do to improve? Well, let's examine the results of Jesus right here on the test that he had to take. First of all, what Jesus went through is a biblical example of the kind of problems that we face, right? 
All three of these temptations are things that we sometimes have to deal with. Now, I'm not saying that Satan's taking us up to the highest point, but sometimes we get hungry. We kind of have a desire for something, right? We can relate to that. And sometimes we can look out and say, so I want all of this and start thinking about the stuff out there that I would like. Those tests that Jesus faced, we face similar. So let's look at the results of Jesus. Well, first of all, a few different things here. First of all, he didn't grow, if we look at Jesus going forward, he didn't grow weary of doing good. Jesus' whole responsibility would be to do good. He did not accept the standards of men. He could not be distracted. He held the scriptures in highest regard. Think about that for a second. Every answer to a challenge Jesus gave came from a scripture in the Bible, right? That's a pretty good way to think about this. When I'm challenged with something, where should my answer come from? It should come from the Bible. And it appears that there's an answer for that as well. He would not deviate from the will of God. Jesus could have bowed down to Satan, right? He could have jumped off of the temple. He could have turned the stones into bread. He could have done all of that. But he didn't deviate from the will of God. He wouldn't cave in times of adversity. I've done it. We all have, right? In times of adversity, we kind of given in and caved, if we want to use that word. We can relate. He wouldn't use his power for personal advantage. See, what we don't really think about is the fact that Satan thought he had all the power in the world whenever he was talking to Jesus, right? Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, it sure looks like Satan's got all the power in the world. And everything that Satan throws out there, how does Jesus respond? He responds by the word of God, and Satan just has to vote. Didn't win that one. And finally, it almost reads in verse 10, but Satan just sort of slinks away. That's a losing effort right there. But he said he was defeated, defeated, defeated again. So whenever we're faced with those kind of temptations, what do we have to do? We have to fight back using the word of God. The same thing that Jesus did is the same for us. He refused to seek his own glory. And as we can see there in the last, he trusted that God would take care of him. Jesus was tempted, tested, and I think he passed. I see the word approved there on the screen. We all can face, we all have similar types of challenges that we face. But our temptations are all different. Our temptations are different because of our age, because of our relationships in life, because of the things that we have to deal with. And so we can't necessarily make out a list of all these, here's how you fix this. But what I can say is that we can use Jesus as our example. Because Jesus' example was to return to the Word of God, find an explanation for why he refused to do this or that. And eventually, hopefully, much like what Jesus saw there at the end of our reading, Satan will sort of slink away, not going to be able to get this person. We all face the test. And our hope is that we can overcome those same kinds of tests as well. One of the tests, though, that we always deal with, one of the things we always talk about here, one of the things that helps us pass the test is becoming a Christian. And the becoming a Christian gives us sort of that power, that backing, uh, as it were, that comfort in, in what we're dealing with. And so we ask every time, if you have not be, become a Christian, we invite you to do so. Whenever we come together, we throw out this invitation which allows you to become a Christian. 
You become baptized. Uh, you, you, you change your, your, you repent. You change uh, your ways, as it were. And we certainly would want that. But sometimes we just sort of fall away. Maybe as we saw there a minute ago, we've caved in a little bit. And sometimes we just need to sort of make some changes, fix, that, fix some things uh, in our lives as well. So whatever it might be, whatever we can do for you, we certainly would invite you to come while we stand and sing.